Lesson 2 for October 3 to 9, The Crisis Within and Without. Sabbath afternoon, October 3. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this week once again we're about to open your word to the book of Jeremiah and find how you work through him for your people. And as we do that, we pray that our hearts may be open to you working on our hearts and our minds and our lives and our decisions, that we may follow you and do what you would want us to do. We pray for each person who is listening, that their lives may be benefited by this lesson, but also that their walk with you will be enhanced. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 3. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend, disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Let's read that again, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 3. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend, disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. If we could pick one word to describe the human condition since the fall, it would be crisis, the extent of which can be best understood by what it took to get us out of the crisis, the death of Jesus on the cross. The crisis must be pretty bad. After all, look at the extreme measures needed to solve it. All through the Bible, many stories took place against the backdrop of one crisis or another. The situation during the time of Jeremiah and his ministry was no different. God's people faced many challenges, both from within and from without. Unfortunately, despite the terrible military threat from foreign powers, in many ways the greatest crisis came from within. Within meant not just a corrupt leadership and corrupt priesthood, which were bad enough, but within was in the sense of people whose hearts had been so hardened and damaged by sin and apostasy that they refused to heed the warnings that God was sending them, warnings that could have spared them from disaster. Sin is bad enough, but when you refuse to turn away from it, talk about a crisis... Sunday, October 4, A Quick History When the Israelites had finally entered the Promised Land, after years of wandering in the wilderness, it wasn't long before troubles began. All it took was a new generation to arise, one that didn't know the Lord, as it says in Judges 2 verse 10. And a spiritual crisis started that, in many ways, infected the nation all through its history. It's a problem that indeed has infected the Christian church as well. Question. Read Judges chapter 2 verses 1 to 15. What caused the crisis and how was it made manifest? Well, let's have a look. Judges chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my commandment with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? 
Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was, when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was one hundred and ten years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel." Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel." So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. Verse 11 says, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, in the NIV translation. Each generation, one after the other, moved one step farther from God until the nation was doing exactly what the Lord had told it not to do. Due to their sins, the Israelites faced one crisis after another. But even then, the Lord had not given up on them. He sent them judges who delivered them from their immediate woes. After the era of the judges, the nation entered a time of relative peace and prosperity under what has been called the United Monarchy, the rule of Saul, David and Solomon, which lasted about 100 years. Under David, then Solomon, it grew into a regional power. The good times, though, did not last. After the death of Solomon, about 931 BC, the nation split into two factions— Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. Much of the blame can be placed on the misguided rule of Solomon, who, for all his wisdom, made numerous mistakes. As Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 88 and 89, the tribes had long suffered grievous wrongs under the oppressive measures of their former ruler. The extravagance of Solomon's reign during his apostasy had led him to tax the people heavily and to require of them much menial service. End of quote. Things were never the same again for God's chosen nation. Everything the Lord had warned them not to do they did, and thus they reaped the doleful consequences. So to finish today, think about the problem of the next generation not having the values and beliefs of the one before it. 
How have we as a church dealt with this issue? How can we learn to transmit our values to those who follow us? Monday, October 5, The Two Kingdoms After the division of the nation, things went from bad to worse. In the northern kingdom, King Jeroboam made some terrible spiritual choices that had a long-lasting impact for evil. Question. Read 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26 to 31. What should this tell us about how immediate circumstances can so blind our judgment? 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice and made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places, and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi." What should this tell us about how immediate circumstances can so blind our judgment? The king's introduction of idolatrous worship helped set the nation on a disastrous course. In Prophets and Kings, page 107, Ellen White writes, The apostasy introduced during Jeroboam's reign became more and more marked until finally it resulted in the utter ruin of the kingdom of Israel. End of quote. In 1722 BC, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, put an end to the country and deported its inhabitants to different parts of his empire. We read about that in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison." Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. There was no turning back from this exile. For a time, Israel disappeared from history. 
Things aren't as bad in the southern kingdom, at least not yet. But they weren't great either. And, as with the northern kingdom, the Lord sought to spare these people from the calamity that the northern kingdom faced. Only now from the threat of the Babylonians. Unfortunately, with rare exceptions, Judah had a series of kings who continued to lead the nation into deeper apostasy. Question. What do these verses say about the reign of some of Judah's kings? First of all, Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 9 and 10. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. And verses 21 to 23. Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. For Amon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Amon trespassed more and more. And Second Kings chapter 24, verses 8 and 9. Jehoiakim was eighteen years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehusia, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. And in the same chapter, Second Kings 24, verses 18 and 19, Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. Despite all the terrible leadership, so many of the prophetic books in the Bible, including Jeremiah, are the words of the prophets whom God sent to his people in an attempt to turn them away from the sin and apostasy that was eating at the heart of the nation. The Lord was not going to give up on his people without giving them some ample time and opportunity to turn from their evil ways and be spared the disaster that their sin would inevitably bring. And so to finish today, it's so hard to step out of your own culture and environment and look at yourself objectively. In fact, it's impossible. Why then must we constantly test our lives against the standard of the Bible? What other standard do we have? Tuesday, October 6, Two Evils It was against this background that the young Jeremiah began his prophetic ministry. The word of the Lord came to him, and he spoke it in hopes that the people, if they would heed those words, would be spared the ruin that otherwise was sure to come. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through to 28 and answer the following questions. 1. What promises had God made to the nation when they were faithful? What were some of the priests, pastors and prophets doing that was sinful? 
And in what terrible ways were the people self-deceived in regard to their true spiritual condition? Well, let's begin Jeremiah chapter 2 at verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord." Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children. I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see, send to Kedah and consider diligently, and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also, the people of Noph and Tarpanhes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself, in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now... Why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not transgress. When on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. Yet I have planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. 
How can you say, I am not polluted, I have not gone after the bales? See your way in the valley, know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary, breaking loose in her ways, a wild donkey used to the wilderness, that sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating. Who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month they will find her. Withhold your foot from being unshod, and your throat from thirst, but you say, there is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens, and after them I will go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, saying to a tree, You are my father, and to a stone, You gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face, but in the time of their trouble they will say, Arise and save us. But... Where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise. If they can save you in the time of trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. And the first question, what promises had God made to the nation when they were faithful? Verses 2 and 3, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in the land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend, disaster will come upon them says the Lord. And the second question, what were some of the priests, pastors and prophets doing that was sinful? Verse 8, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the Lord did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. And in what terrible ways were the people self-deceived in regard to their true spiritual condition. Verses 23 and 24. How can you say I am not polluted? I have not gone after the bales. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways, a wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating, who can turn her away. All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month they will find her. Even though the nation had experienced some spiritual reform under the leadership of Hezekiah and Josiah, the people reverted to their old ways and fell into worse apostasy. As he did all through his ministry, Jeremiah here spoke in no uncertain terms about what was going on. Particularly interesting are his words in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot, or that can hold no water. The people had committed two evils. They forsook the Lord, the fountain of living waters, and as a result, hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that, of course, could not hold any water at all. In other words, Having abandoned the Lord, they had lost everything. These words become even more meaningful in light of what Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you know the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water.
In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5, the Lord said that the people had gone after worthlessness, and as a result they had become worthless. The Hebrew words for both terms come from the same Hebrew word, which just has three consonants, H-B-L, Hubble, or I don't know how to pronounce it, that is often translated vanity. It also means a vapour or breath. How does going after worthless things make us worthless? What does that mean? How does this concept help us to understand those who at times feel as if their lives are meaningless or worthless? What is the answer for them? Wednesday, October 7, The Babylonian Threat The background to the political events that shaped the ministry of Jeremiah are, to some degree, lost to history. That is, many of the details are not available. But we do have in the Bible, with the help of archaeological finds, more than enough information to have a general picture of what took place. Though from a human perspective it probably seemed that no one was in control as these nations battled it out for land, power and hegemony, the Bible teaches us differently. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 27 verse 6. What are we to make of this? Jeremiah 27 verse 6. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field I have also given him to serve him. The little kingdom of Judah had in the early years of Jeremiah's ministry found itself caught up in the military battles between Babylon, Egypt and the waning power of Assyria. With the decline of the Assyrian Empire in the late 7th century BC, Egypt sought to regain power and dominance in the region. However, at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC, Egypt was crushed and Babylon became the new world order. This new power made Judah its vassal state. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, could stabilize the country only by swearing allegiance to the Babylonian king. Many in the country, however, didn't want to be loyal to Babylon. They wanted to fight and free themselves from the Babylonians, even though that wasn't what the Lord intended for them to do. On the contrary, God was using Babylon specifically as a vehicle to punish the nation for its apostasy. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 to 12. What was Jeremiah's message to the people of Judah? Jeremiah 25, beginning at verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against those nations all around, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. 
Then it will come to pass, when seventy years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Again and again, Jeremiah warned the people about what would happen because of their sin, and time and again many of the political and religious leaders refused to heed the warnings, believing instead what they wanted to believe, which is that the Lord would spare them. After all, were they not God's specially called people? And so to finish today, when was the last time you believed what you wanted to believe, no matter how obviously wrong that belief turned out to be. What lessons have you learned so that the same thing doesn't happen again? Thursday, October 8, Swearing Falsely In Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 1, the Lord tells the people to run through the streets and see if you can find a man who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her, that's Jerusalem. This brings to mind two stories. One is from an ancient Greek philosopher of the 4th century BC named Diogenes, who, according to legend, used to walk around in the marketplace in the daytime claiming that he was looking for an honest man. The other story, of course, one that we know is true, is that of God speaking to Abraham, telling him that if he could find 50 righteous men, soon reduced to 10, he would not destroy the city. The point, though, in the Lord's words through Jeremiah was to reveal just how widespread the apostasy and sin had become among his people. Was there no one who did justice and sought truth? Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. What is being said here that shows just how bad things were becoming? And we'll also have a look at Leviticus 19, verse 12. Jeremiah 5 Beginning at verse 2, Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. And Leviticus 19, verse 12, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. These verses bring up a point that appears all through the book. No matter how deeply fallen the nation had become, many of the people believed that they were still faithfully following the Lord. They were uttering his name, but they were doing it falsely instead of in truth, in justice and righteousness as in Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 2, as the Lord had commanded them. They did not listen to the warning coming from God, but they went on in their lives and religious practices as if everything were all right between them and God, when in fact almost nothing was right between them. The depth of their deception can be seen in Jeremiah 7 verse 4, when the people would take a false report in these words, Hekel, Yahweh, Hekel, Yahweh, Hekel, Yahweh, Hema. 
translated, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As if having the temple there was all that they needed in order to ensure that all would go well with them. It's one thing to know you're in a crisis, but when you are in one and don't know it, that's an even worse situation. And so to finish today, with all the wonderful truth we have been given as Seventh-day Adventists, how can we make sure we don't fall into a similar deception of believing our unique calling itself is enough to save us? Friday, October 9. Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Deuteronomy 12, verse 8. When thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep all his commandments which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy 13, verse 18. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Judges 17.6 and repeated again in chapter 21 verse 25. There's a crucially important contrast presented in these verses, especially in this day and age when many people revolt against the idea of being told by an outside authority what to do, or being told what is right and wrong. Yet, we can see here a clear distinction between these two world views. In one, people do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. In another, people are to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord their God. The problem with the first position is that, so often in history, what is right in someone's own eyes is often wrong in God's. That's why we have to submit everything, even our own conscience, to the Word of God. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, what are some examples you can think of where good people did very bad things, even though they thought at the time that they were doing what was right? Many cultures today look back in horror at what were once common practices. What lessons can we draw from this for ourselves today about why we do not only need to submit to the teaching of the Bible but also need to be very careful in how we interpret the Bible. This is especially important when we realize that in some cases, some of the bad things that were done were done by those who believed they could justify their actions by the Bible. What should this tell us about how basic and foundational to all our beliefs the Ten Commandments need to be? And question two. As we study Jeremiah this quarter, keep in mind the idea that, despite warning after warning, the people believed that they were right with God. What could have caused them to be so deceived about their true condition? What message should this have for us as well? Inside Story 
Our mission story this week is titled A Most Satisfying Career, Part 2. Some Christian lay workers visited Harry's prison each week to teach prisoners about God. One of the prisoners invited Harry to join them. He went, but his mind was focused on a way to escape from prison. A lay worker gave him a book called The Great Controversy. Harry read it, but he was sure that God wouldn't bother with him because of all the crimes he'd committed. Often at night, some of the prisoners would sing and pray together from their cells. One night, the words of their song touched Harry's heart. I've wandered far away from God, now I'm coming home, they sang. In the darkness, tears fell unchecked from Harry's eyes. Then he began sobbing. The same thing happened again a few nights later. Harry realized that God was calling him to come home, and he couldn't refuse. Harry hesitated to join any one religious group, for he didn't know which one taught Bible truth. He began studying many religions. He even learned Arabic so he could read the Koran. But no religion seemed to hold the truth. Then Harry remembered the book that he had received. He pulled it out and began reading it again. As he read the great controversy, he sensed that this book was teaching the truth. Harry began meeting with the Seventh-day Adventist Bible class. Then he joined their baptismal class and prepared to be baptised. But because of his reputation for escaping, the guards refused to allow Harry to leave for his baptism. A month later, Harry was transferred back to the original prison from which he'd escaped. When he entered the prison, the guards greeted him. Some of them had heard that Harry had changed and they wanted to see if it was true. They even bribed other prisoners to spy on him. Harry rejoiced to learn that Adventists held worship services in this prison too. He joined them and continued studying the Voice of Prophecy lessons he had started several months earlier. Finally, he was allowed to be baptised. Harry wrote to his family and told them that he had given his life to God. When they visited him, they were amazed at the changes they saw. When Harry and his family prayed together, the guards bowed their heads too. They even left him alone with his mother, for they were convinced he would not try to escape again. Harry threw himself into prison ministries from the inside. He held meetings, enrolled other prisoners in the Voice of Prophecy Bible courses, and shared books by Ellen White with other prisoners. The Adventist group worshipping in the prison grew to about 100 before Harry was released. When Harry returned home, he began working as a literature evangelist. He loves sharing his faith with those he meets and leading them to God. Leading souls to Jesus is a new and satisfying career, far better than the one that landed me in jail, he testifies. Harry Matengo lives in Lewande in Malawi in Africa. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember... God is always faithful.